Hello, and welcome to the Four Bronx Community Podcast. My name is Laura Levine Pinedo, and I am the founder and the director of the Four Bronx Project. My journey has led me to such amazing neighbors with such interesting stories, and I am ready to share them with you. I invite you to join us as we meet members of our community, such as small business owners and so much more. Let's support local, and let's have a cup of tea together and chat about all things community. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Four Bronx Community Podcast. Today, we are joined by Michael Brady. Hi, Mike. Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming. So, Brady serves as principal of Canon Strategy Group, uh, a firm committed to finding compromise and solutions when solutions and strategy are not readily apparent. Until recently, Brady was a chief executive officer of Third Avenue Business Improvement District, the oldest and largest business district in the Bronx. During his tenure with Third Avenue Business Improvement District, Brady also led the Bruckner Boulevard Commercial Corridor and Southern Boulevard Business Improvement Districts. Over seven years, Brady led efforts to generate over $3 billion. In public and private investment in the South Bronx, uh, completed transformative public space and capital infrastructure programs, assisted in creating citywide policies to address public space equity and small business opportunities, and diversified the board of directors and leadership team at the organization to reflect the borough it serves. During his time at the Third Avenue bid, Brady operated the organization and led borough-wide crisis management support during the COVID-19 pandemic, including fundraising over $1.4 million for direct businesses, business assistance grants, co-creating the NYC Open Street and Open Dining Program, worked to reduce burdensome business regulations, provided emergency meals to over 20,000 individuals and families, provided direct assistance in navigating government to secure city, state, and federal funding for businesses throughout the new, throughout New York City, but especially in the Bronx. Brady also spearheaded COVID-19 efforts to keep artists, cultural organizations, and construction firms employed during the pandemic by activating streets and completing capital projects. Brady served as the voice for business needs and advocated for businesses in the halls of government and philanthropy. Brady was a founding member of the Bronx Community Relief Effort, um, the Bronx, not the Bronx Community Foundation, and served as the business and economic development support captain charged with raising the dispersing resources to Bronx businesses and entrepreneurs. Prior to helming the district, Brady served as master planner for the South Bronx Waterfront and was instrumental in leading planning efforts for the Sheridan Expressway, South Bronx Greenway, and Harlem River access plans. Brady has led four Brownfield Opportunity Area planning studies for the New York State Department of State and served as on-call real estate advisor for the New York City Mayor's Office of Environmental Remediation. Having lived in the South Bronx for 20 years, he is a seasoned economic development practitioner and nonprofit executive with significant experiences in management, land use policy, business and workforce development, credit and lending, and public policy. He has successfully navigated the New York City and state government, business, and civic sectors to raise hundreds of millions of dollars in public and private sector funding to support the business ecosystem, recruited high employment yield businesses to the Bronx, gained project approvals for major land use developments, and helped businesses seeking to expand, improve, or launch in the city of New York. Michael has forged a career in New York City and New York State that has cultivated authentic relationships through hard work and dedication to what is right and just for New Yorkers while balancing sound economic development and business policy. Brady specializes in equitable economic development, organizational management, land use, industrial manufacturing, and environmental policy. Brady leads on his experience in governmental relations to provide the leadership and expertise to forge and sustain relationships with city, city state, and federal policymakers and influencers, while also implementing comprehensive strategic, legislative, and budgetary goals. Brady serves on the board of directors and is vice chair of the Five Borough Jobs Coalition, New York City Hospitality Alliance, New York City Hospitality Impact Foundation, the South Bronx Montessori School, a founder of the Bronx Community Foundation and the Economic Recovery Task Force for Mayor Adams, as well as the co-chair of the Bronx Opioid Collective, founded by New York State Department of Health and Council Member Rafael Salamanca, Jr. Brady serves as an advisor to St. Anne's Corner of Harm Reduction, addressing challenges to public health and the New York City drug crisis. 
Brady previously served as executive committee member and officer of the Bronx Chamber of Commerce and chair of the Bronx Borough President LGBT Caucus. Brady has been named to New York City Power List, published by Cranes, City and State, and Schneps Media, and has been recognized for his leadership by city, state, and federal leadership. Brady holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from Manhattan College and studied public administration at New York University, where he served as a senior Clark Fellow. Additionally, he holds certifications from Harvard University and Columbia University. In his private life, Brady owns a South Bronx bar with his, with his husband and enjoys developing businesses and communities in Puerto Rico and Central America. My Lord. Jesus, that's a very that long bio. Oh God, that's a very like long bio. To like Mr. Bronx. <laughs> I mean, what? We've, we've got to pare that down. <laughs> we've got to pare that down. No, but you should be proud of everything you've done. I mean, that's Thank amazing, you. amazing work that you've done for this borough. Thank you. I love it. I love the Bronx. Uh, yeah, it's been my life. Uh, oh, my yeah. gosh. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Somebody that went into public administration, too. Yeah. And it's fun. You know, it's, it's like, it's fun work. Like, if you're not having fun while you're doing the work, then no, you No, if it's do it. fun, then it's worthwhile. It doesn't seem like work. So that exactly. is, um, literally, I'm like, like bowing down right now. Yeah, we, we got to cut, cut that down. No, we're not cutting it down. <laughs> no, 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 no. Proud of it. So tell us a little bit about your background where you were raised, growing up, family sure. life, stuff like that. Yeah, so I grew up in upstate New York in Albany. Okay. Um, and uh, like typical middle class family, uh, brother, sister, mom, dad. Uh, and like we had like our, our core family Obviously, it was five, but it was really like 105 because we always had an open door policy to any of the neighborhood kids. There was always an extra plate at the table. There's always an extra bed in the house. Right. Like it was very much that growing up and like that kind of uh, that upbringing really informed my leadership model, right? Like there's always room for someone else. There's always room in the tent. You can always make the tent bigger and everyone can accomplish their goals. Um, so, uh, Catholic school. I actually went to Catholic military high school. Oh, wow. I know. It was fun. Not really. No. Uh, no, it was fun. It was a great school. Uh, ROTC? ROTC. Oh, La- LaSalle Institute in Troy. Uh, it, was, it was great. Uh, it was all boys when I went there. Now it's co-ed. Okay. Um, but uh, really good experience. And when I left high school, I thought I was either going to become a priest or a Christian brother. Wow. Um, yeah, I know, right? Uh, so I couldn't decide. So I was like, okay, well, let me go to a Catholic school for college and figure it out. So I went to Manhattan College, loved it. Go Jaspers. Uh, go Jaspers, that's right. I get to revisit like my, my stomping grounds up here. Um, loved it, but then I was like, uh, I was doing a lot of soul searching internally, and I was like, mm, you know, the priesthood's not for me. It's, this is, love to teach, love, love all that, but like there's obviously another path. Um, graduated from Manhattan, um, and then became a Clark Fellow at NYU. Uh, which part of the fellowship program was you had to devote a portion of your life to public service, um, which I love the idea of, but being a typical recent college grad, I didn't focus on the public service part. I just thought, oh, grad school's paid for, I'm good. And then August came around and I I got a letter saying, oh, congratulations, what are you doing for your public service job? And I didn't have anything and it was like a very, oh shit type of moment. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, Think of something quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I called some folks and they were like, hey, um, there's this Catholic school in the South Bronx and they need some help. They really don't know what they need you for. But um, we talked to the principal who used to be a nun and we talked to the priest and they'll let you live in the rectory as your salary. Wow. Uh, yeah. It was so you got a taste of that priesthood. For seven years. You lived there for seven years? I lived years? there for seven years, yeah. Wow. Um, and it was St. Augustine School on 167 and Franklin Avenue, serving like largely first-generation immigrants um, and like poorest of the poor. Like everyone's like, oh, Catholic school, they have to pay tuition. Like these are not, these were not tuition-paying kids. Like the wealthy families in the school were paying like 50 bucks a month. Um, and like that's such a contrast to what we see now. Right. Um, and I did that for seven years, uh, keeping the school open and working with the faculty and the administration there. And then uh, eventually the archdiocese did close down the school. And then I helped the pastor at the time, Tom Fenlon. Uh, he was put in charge of doing a merger between the parish and another parish. And it, like, 
the people are very good. The bureaucracy is insane, right? And like, and that that like was like a big like kind of tipping point for me to kind of understand right. like, well, what are you going to do next, right? So, I did that, and then I was like, okay, well, I've got this degree now. Where am I going to focus? And I really thought like. It's time to make some systemic changes, right? And, like, how do we do that? We do that through education. We do that through, like, real planning, right? Like, the only way you don't get screwed is if you have a plan, right? <laughs> right? Um, Sometimes you get screwed when you have right, a plan. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, like, I was like, okay, how do, how do I do this? Uh-huh. Um, and I, I started working under a gentleman, um, Neil Pariser, um, who is, like, a longtime planner. And when I, when I was introduced to Neil, he was in his 70s. And he was like, listen, I'm going to retire soon. I need someone to take over what I've been doing and Neil that he was like a third generation Bronx family that had like been part of like real estate development and stuff and they owned like industrial properties but Neil was also like very smart and like he could see what things could be in like 20 or 30 years so so we started and like right before Neil formally retired he was like so I've got a project for you and I think you can do it and he was just like do you want to do the master plan for the South Bronx waterfront from the East River all the way over to the Harlem River Um, and of course like any young person you think you are you've you've got it all right and you 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 can do anything Um, and I did it and you know, and normally, like in that, like a six-year master planning process, and um, usually these sh- these plans are made and they're just put on a bookshelf, right? Like no one uses them, right. but we're actually seeing that like plan now, um, and it's like it's really impressive to be like, oh wow, I wrote that, and look, this, this 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 is happening. Like there's a there's a that. there's a park, wow, <laughs> you know. Amazing. So it did that, and then it was time to focus on like, okay, what's the next level, um, which were like upland commercial districts. Like how do we, you know, now that we've like mapped out this plan for folks in like a former industrial area, people need to shop. They need grocery stores. They need dry cleaners. They like, and we have some really good existing commercial districts, not just in the South Bronx, but in the entire Bronx. They just haven't been given a lot of love. Um, so started doing a lot of focusing on like 138th Street, the hub at 149th Street, right. 161st Street, Southern Boulevard, because they're the natural shopping districts. And everyone was like, oh, well, you should just focus on 125th Street in Harlem. And I was like, yeah, but Manhattan is not the Bronx. <laughs> and the Bronx is not Manhattan. It may be close in proximity, but like people who live in the Bronx should be able to shop in the Bronx. Absolutely. Um, so a position opened up at um, 3rd Avenue Business Improvement District. Uh and I applied, and I was like, "Let's give this a shot." And hired by the board, which was amazing. The board, the board there is really active, and they're really good folks. Um, and we took an organization which was running a sixty-five thousand dollar a year deficit every year, um, balanced out the books, put in financial management systems, all this other stuff, uh, and then grew the budget to about a two million dollar a year budget. Um, Wow. And like and like did all the hurdles of like normal nonprofit life, right? Like city contracting, procurement, like Is it so much fun? Yeah, your life just becomes paperwork. You don't get to do any of the fun stuff, right? Um and we did some really innovative stuff. You know, we changed the whole kind of perception of what business improvement districts were. Like traditionally bids are clean, safe, beautiful, right? So sanitation team, maybe some public safety, holiday lights, some light programming, put it together. Beautification. Bed. Right, you're right. done, right? Um, we expanded that to like really do heavy duty public programming, heavy duty community engagement. Um, we launched uh, New York City's first race equity index uh, among the bid bid world to really say, well, does our board reflect our community? And if it doesn't, how do we fix that? Um, and how do we legislate Which that? Which is fix? very very important. A hundred percent, absolutely. A hundred percent. And then it was you know the opioid crisis was huge and still is. Um, you know if. If the cross streets of 149th Street and Melrose were uh, a state, it would be number two in the United States for fatalities from overdose. Wow. Yeah, second to Louisiana. Um, so uh, so it was like an ever-present thing. It just it evolved what a business improvement district should be uh, and gave a more active role and, you know, and attracted investment. Like all of a sudden people who really didn't have confidence in the hub, they're like, okay, you know, we're going to put $10 million down and we're going to rehab a building that my family's held for 30 years and left vacant. Um, And you started to see like this momentum building and it was really, really great. But after eight years and a global pandemic, 
and just like I have an internal rule, like you should be in a position for six to eight years and then you should move on, right? Like you need fresh eyes, the organization needs fresh fresh eyes, they need new energy, like you shouldn't hang out just for a paycheck. Um, so I uh, informed the board that a, a year ahead of time, I was like, okay, start shopping around guys, it's time to, to look. Uh, and then I, I left and uh, I took a position with the Chamber of Commerce doing economic development strategy and, uh, and organizational strategy there. And then eventually I went out and I did consulting and now I represent you know high yield uh, employers, uh, economic development projects that are coming to the Bronx, uh, affordable housing folks. And it's, it's been really good because I've been able to take the foundation of community and put it in the private sector where usually community doesn't have a voice. You know, private sector can come in and steamroll and say, okay, we're gonna build this, this, and this. And like, they'll check the boxes off of like, oh, we did surveys, we did these things, but like, to really have someone baked into the process who can walk down the street and be like, oh, that's Linda Duke. Linda Duke lives in Mitchell Senior Housing. She has issues with X, Y, and Z. You, multi-billion dollar property developer, can help Linda right. Duke with that. Then um, let's find those commonalities um, to really achieve something that's mutually beneficial, right? Like I think a lot of folks, whether you are a super left-wing activist, a super right-wing activist, a real estate developer, a homeowner, folks have very similar end games but their vehicles are different, right? And they- That's they, a good way of looking at it. And they're approaching it from different lived experiences. And like, I think that like, I have the privilege and like really, it's, it really is a privilege to come in and say, okay, you want this, you want this. You guys don't talk to each other at all because you hate each other. How do we come up with this compromise and how do we work together to really move things forward? Like a lot of people use the word, well, we're stronger together and like, Yes, but that can't just be lip service. We really have to be right. stronger together. Um, so it's collaboration, authentic relationships, and like just confronting the reality of we're all not gonna get what we want, right? So how do we compromise in a way that doesn't compromise our integrity, but gives a, gets us closer to our mutual goal? Right. Now, how rewarding is it? You know, the Bronx is, they say, the poorest borough. Is that true? Uh, it, uh, so it used to be the poorest congressional district. It's no longer the, it's no longer the poorest congressional district. I think somebody in the Deep South took that title. But I think that's also the problem, right? Like, it's not that we don't want to acknowledge our history and our past. And reality, yes, like the Bronx has had systemic racism. The Bronx has had systemic poverty. It was the dumping ground for everything the city of New York did not want. It right. was not shiny. It was not new. It was like, oh, we've got this. We're going to put that here. And we have to learn from that lived experience, but we can't harp on it. We have to talk about the new opportunities in the Bronx. The fact that we have a really hungry workforce, an educated workforce, that we are probably, I mean, and this is knock on wood because it changes every day, like still a relatively affordable borough compared to our other borough counterparts. Right. Um, and I'm a tenant of acknowledging doom and gloom but let's keep it moving. Just keep it moving. Let's let, let's let's focus on on how we can promote positivity. Do you think we're the next Brooklyn? Because everyone's saying, oh, this. and I know. hate to say this, so bro, it kills oh. me, it kills me. So, so bro, Angie's it, laughing because she's from the South Bronx. Admittedly, it, uh, <laughs> it, admittedly, so I think ten years ago, eleven years ago, there was a quote that I gave to the Daily News, and it was out of context, and I was so stupid, but this is like how you learn, right? Right. And the reporter said, oh, well, what, you know, like, do you think the South Bronx is Brooklyn? And I said off the cuff, I was like, the South Bronx reminds me a lot of early Dumbo and Williamsburg before it was Dumbo and Williamsburg. Okay. Um, and I got, ho, 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 ho. Exactly. Like, we don't want this here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like, oh my God, like, raked over the coals and like and I I know now that what I didn't know then is like we are the Bronx we are unique the Bronx the only right. borough with the that's right there's the Hague the Vatican and the Bronx, the Bronx. Right? you know <laughs> I told my to class it up so I told her call it Le Bronx. Le Bronx there we go that's right but Le like Bronx. but like it was a mistake that like hindsight's twenty twenty. like the Bronx is its own unique place it 
one, we should never strive to be Brooklyn because I don't like. Uh oh. I don't like Brooklyn. <laughs> I know exactly Eric. Listen, we have to be nonpartisan, but nobody ever said anything <laughs> exactly, about Burl. Exactly. Eric Adams, <laughs> Eric Adams is going to come swinging down here with a baseball bat. You know? But um, I, you know, and we have our own individuality. We have our own way of going for things. And like, I also think like that unique nature, that culture, that diverse ethnicity is also what has slowed the onslaught of gentrification. Like, you look at Queens, parts of Brooklyn, lower Manhattan, even some parts of Staten Island, um, happen, like, overnight. Like, and is gentrification happening in the Bronx? Is displacement happening in the Bronx? Yes. Like, you can't say no. It is happening. But it's happening at a, a much slower rate than other borough counterparts, and that's largely because of our activist community. They said, wait, slow down. You can't do that. Like, like, stop right um and that slowdown has for better or worse made some more educated decisions um and some that are just not educated right like you know never in a million years would i have thought that in my neighborhood i've lived in the same apartment for 21 years when i moved into the neighborhood rent was 700 bucks a month uh-huh that is not the rent now. <laughs> like, there, there, there are apartments in the neighborhood that are going for like eighty five hundred a month. Ugh. And like, I walk out, I, like I walk out there, walk the dog in the morning, and like I'm still stepping over dog poop and things. And I'm just like, you're paying how much for the what? Like, no, but you know. it's a very cute. I mean, you and your husband Tony are the kings of Mott Haven. Oh, you're so sweet. You are. I mean, you are. <laughs> and like, um, you guys are adorable, and it's a really cute little area there. Yeah, and like, it's cute because. A couple of reasons, right? Like, it was all industrial and warehousing. So it was like, in terms of like building structures, a lot of blank canvas along the waterfront. But also like so rich in the community. Like we have uh, a really large concentration of like NYCHA housing, but historic NYCHA housing. So like you're talking to like three and four generations of family who live there and have their roots in the neighborhood. We have um, two historic districts. We have some of the most historic districts, uh, historic churches in the neighborhood. And a, a level of social activism okay. that is kind of unparalleled, right? Like even this morning I had a meeting with uh, a guy from uh, South Bronx Churches, which was like an early organizing group um, in the uh, 80s and 90s. And like he was like the passion um, and like an organized passion. Like I might not like you, but I know that we're going to fight for our community and for the same thing. Right. I do want to shout out, you do have a business down there. We're yes. going to talk about it a little bit. Yes. But I do want to shout out, I was there, there was two stores that, three stores that actually kind of stood out to me. I thought they were great. I love the cornbread and the barbecue spot on the corner. Yes. Oh, Hudson Smokehouse. I love that cornbread. So good. I actually should have told you to bring me some of that. I should have. I would have brought you some up. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, the plants, the plant shop. Oh, May May Cafe. Love that. Yes. And I love Lit Bar. Yes. So... All of those are just like hints of the amazing like so, nature and like Meme Cafe is great. Like it's a plant shop. It's a vegan cafe. It's uh, right on Third Avenue uh, in the Great Performances Building at One Bruck, uh not One Bruckner, uh, twenty four seventeen Bruckner. Um, it's awesome. Like the staff there is really chill. The food is great. Yeah. But you can also get like a really nice like well maintained plant. Like and I'm not talking about like a plant that you're gonna bring home and like. It'll die by the radiator. <laughs> but that's great. The lip bar is awesome. Noel Santos is the owner there. She has literally put like blood, sweat, and tears into her business. I love that. It's like a it's a wine bar in the back, yep. a bookstore in the front. Really, yeah. really, really cool. Yeah. And like she has a laundry mat that has a very cute name. Sock monster. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love the sock monster. It's so cute. Sock monster, and they do delivery and pickup. Like so, oh even my, better. Can like they deliver to Riverdale. May, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe. Although I've got to say, like I used to drop my clothes off because I'm just terrible at laundry. But ever since I got married, Tony's like adamantly. He's like no one else is touching our underwear and I was like okay so we do la- we do laundry oh. in house we do, we, do, we, do, we do laundry in house <laughs> <laughs> so what has your biggest accomplishment in your career been thus far that you've Oof, uh, I don't your know proudest moment um besides coming on the four Bronx well I mean clear, clearly <laughs> this is number one um you know it was actually probably very early in my career um working at St. Augustine School uh, like and like other professional accolades have been great and like awesome and transformative and um, but 
working with the kids and the family and the faculty there in like a way that you could only work with your family, right? Like there was that, there was that feeling that everyone is in this together, right? No one here is rich. No one here has any more power than anyone else. We've all been disenfranchised by government in some way, shape or form. Um, and working there, uh, and really helping like a generation of kids get education um, is probably my proudest achievement. Do you still keep in contact with any of them? I do actually, my godson, Robert. Uh, I met Robert uh, when Robert was in third grade. He was on the food pantry line uh, and we brought his whole family into the school and uh, Robert doesn't, didn't have a father. So like I became like his, his kind of pseudo dad and like we've, been together ever since, and he's got a little boy named Milano who's ten. He's well, he turns ten this year, um, and Robert just got accepted to Harvard for his master's program. Oh my god! Um, so like, like, and there are success stories. There's a I love those stories like yeah. Joseph Benedict. Like he went uh, really successful Garifuna kid, um, and went and he wanted to be an investment banker and worked really hard. He grew up in Webster Avenue houses. And like he did a series seven, he didn't pass the series seven, uh, but he kept, he had like this tenacious mindset and he kept on doing it. And like now fast forward and like he does like housing investments and things like that. And like really giving back his older brother, Steven is now an NYPD. And like, so like those relationships and like keeping those moving are like super, super important. And like, it also shows people that like, you should do this too, right? Like. Like, the worst thing for anyone to be is cruel, right? The easiest thing for anybody to be is kind. And, like, just be kind. Right. We need more. Especially this world is, like, there's so many crazy, like, things going on. Let's just be kinder. You're absolutely right. What has been your your biggest obstacle in your career? Ooh. uh, My mouth. Uh, mouth. (laughs) Yeah, my my mouth. (laughs) Uh, My mouth. Uh, I have a strong personality, uh-huh. uh, and I um, I feel like as I've gotten older, I've become like more like astute and like okay, shut your mouth. But I still have like very strong opinions, and I, it gets me in trouble. Like I don't care whether you're the mayor, the governor, or the pope, right? Like if this is wrong, I'm going to say it's wrong. Right. Like, and we can work together to fix things. Um, but it's when you don't want to fix things then I have a big issue with it. Right. Um, and that like also lends itself to like my management style and things like that of like, you know, if we see an issue, let's acknowledge the issue exists and then let's work towards making it better as opposed to, okay, yeah, there's an issue, but we're not going to talk about that issue and we're just going to like ignore it because then that little issue becomes a giant issue. Um, and like, I think that sometimes my loud mouth gets me into trouble. Like it's it, like, when I went toe to toe with the de Blasio administration, it triggered like, uh, an audit. <laughs> like, oh. well, cause like I would call the mayor out, like of like, you're not treating the Bronx fairly. Like, why are all these other areas getting all these resources and we're not getting anything? And it was like just common knowledge. Um, and even early on the Adams administration, it was, you know, 74% of the Bronx is Latino. Where are the, where's the Latino representation in your government? Where, where, where is this? Like, this should be a, like, we don't, this is non-negotiable. Like this, we are the most diverse city that we have in, in the country, maybe LA, right? But why doesn't our government reflect that diversity? And why aren't we investing equitably in our boroughs, in our neighborhoods? Like, fighting with uh, an a city agency to get a stop sign put in or to get you know adequate park services like and I talk about it and right. like that you know when you talk about things you have consequences like right. you know <laughs> <laughs> right is it better to um, ask permission no what does they say ask oh, for or beg forgiveness uh, I'm a big fan of begging for forgiveness right like because as I've gotten older, I've realized that my first gut instinct is to say no. Actually, one of my staff members, they get me a little um, nameplate for my desk and just says, nope. <laughs> um, so like, and I get that, like as you're in government or bureaucracy or working in the private sector longer and longer, like you say no first 
because usually yes leads to liability, right? Um, but like but at my heart, like I will I will ask for forgiveness first, um, particularly if I know it's right, right? Like right, it, if you fight for the right thing. Exactly. I like, know, like I'm very opinionated myself, so I understand. <laughs> but I'm like a female, so like oh she's too aggressive. But meanwhile, if I was a man, would be like oh my god, he's so you know. Right. Exactly. And like always double standard. Well, and that's what we also have to like like push through and just be like. WTF, man! Like, right. like we we should have come so much further. But it's right? a good testament to the Bronx because I feel one word that I would describe the Bronx as resilient. We're like, yeah, you can't get rid of us even no. if you try. So. And an atomic bomb could go off here and we'd still be here. <laughs> we'd still be, we'd like, still be here. We'd be like, what? I want, I want to chop. Bodega's closed. <laughs> right. Where's, where's, ch- where's my chopped cheese? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, as a small business owner yourself, and please tell us your business, shout it out. Yeah. What advice can you give others that are thinking of starting one? Sure. So, uh, I'm one of the co-owners of Bar 47 on Bruckner Boulevard. 47 right. Bruckner. Come by for a drink. Um, and I also have uh, Canon Strategy Group, which is a consulting firm specializing in economic development uh, and relationship building and like organizational strategy work. Um, and two of those have very different lessons, right? The bar is more about being well capitalized, having a plan, and triple checking everything. Even if you hire someone, triple check it. Right, like uh, our our HVAC contractor, like you need to have an HVAC to open up right. and like all this. Really good guy. He was from my motherland, Ireland, and he and you know, and he he was just like, I'm on the up and up, and I, and I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, and because he was on the up and up, and like you're opening a bar in in a pandemic, so you're like focusing on everything else, right? Um, he was not on the up and up. <laughs> And it, it cost us a lot in terms of timing and like right. DOB stuff. So like triple check your work. Like and also, and this is something that I think is important for everyone to hear and acknowledge. Like it doesn't matter how high you get on the totem pole. If you see a piece of paper on the ground, pick it up. If there's a dirty dish in the sink, wash it. Um, because that kind of leadership sets a model, but it's pervasive to your culture. If the boss is willing to do it then everyone's willing to do it. I love that. And that, that's something that, that would be a tip that I would give, give to anyone. Like, it doesn't matter how rich or well, like, pick up the paper. Did you ever bartend? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just those days? Sometimes. I still bartend. I, 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 love, I love the idea of bartending, but I hated... People. <laughs> <laughs> that part, no. Uh, but, like, I, I, I started to not, like the atmosphere, right? Like people got a little bit too demanding, a little bit too pretentious, oh, a little bit too, feet. yeah. I, I didn't mind it. Like actually my, my favorite part, part of being a bartender was closing the bar. Cause it was like, it was quiet. Like it was just you, right? Um, and, but like, I think just like sometimes customers just, customers changed, right? Like they, they, they just started demanding more and got a little bit, too aggressive with their pretension and it was just like we're at an Irish bar like I don't have a 28 year age scotch Jameson whatever right right exactly <laughs> exactly um and then like the other lesson that I learned from like the consulting side is uh diversification right like so many people go in and they're like oh I'm gonna be a consultant I'm just gonna focus on this and that's great to be an expert on that and if you're gonna be an expert on something go work for a think tank but if you want a successful business, diversify your client role and make sure that you are an expert or have access to the experts in what you're tackling. Um, and like that will build you a safer business model. Uh, and also like just like if you lose one client, you've got other clients to balance right. it out. Now, if you decided to quit all of this tomorrow and clean yeah. slate, yeah. what would your, you know, what would you do? Oh, I don't know. Like... You know, it, it's interesting. I'm inter- really putting you on the spot here. It is, you know, I, honestly, over the summer, I had like this moment of like, you're at a good point in your life right now where you can do anything. And I was like, oh, well, you know, you should just take some time off and like focus on you and like right. have you time. Um, 
I did it for a week and I was ready to like jump off a bridge. Like it was way too quiet. I would call my husband. I'd be like, what are you up to? Like, what, what are you doing? He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I just reorganized the cabinets. Like, what, you know, like, what are you doing? Um, but I think like if I knew like my family was going to be taken care of, if I knew like, and money was not an issue, like, I think I would go back and work with education more. Okay. Um, just because I think that that's something that we all say we need to focus on as like a world, but we don't really focus on it earnestly. Right. Um, and it's not to discount our teachers. Teachers are amazing. They do work that I I used to teach. I taught seventh and eighth grade religion and English. Um, I want to let you know that I won in eighth grade third place what? religious educate uh, religious history in the borough of the Bronx. What? Bam. What school did you go to? Visitation. That I know visitation down. over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, we're, I, we're gonna do a religion uh, we could face do, off. We could do that. Yeah, I'd have to. I'd have to. I'd have to brush up. I'd have to like break out the little blue catechism book just to like make sure I'm you good. You must have some stories. Living in a rectory. Oh, living in the rectory, and then I taught religion and English at St. Angela Marici on one six three over by the courthouse. Wow, um, and that you, that you was must fun. Have stories. Yeah, but like these rough and tumble like kids, like oh, you know, like they're just like little puddles of mush like like they come in all aggressive yeah. and everything it's just like I just sit down I bet you like you, they eat good in the rectories right they, we had a cook we had Miss Johnson Miss Johnson was um, yeah I know in, they eat in, in her 70s Miss Johnson loved making fish cakes um, I do not like fish cakes anymore <laughs> like but she was she was just like such a kind soul she was like an islander and like she legitimately like devoted herself to the church and the rectory and like her church family and she was just like a lovely lovely woman and she and she worked right up until the day she died like wow yeah uh, tell us a fun fact about yourself that we haven't discussed yet ooh uh fun fact about me um so I really really um enjoy quiet like it sounds crazy but like we are such like an over socialized couple like Tony and I so like we're always at like after this I'm going to a fundraiser for an elected official like so like we're just like constantly on the go and like it's such a juxtaposition to Tony like Tony likes the news on he likes background noise and things like that I am perfectly content like just being quiet and like and like Tony, we were joking uh, a couple of years ago, and I was like, "If I ever go to jail, like I really just want them to put me in solitary confinement, so I'm by myself." <laughs> like I was like, "It's the safest thing. I won't get shanked. I'll be all by myself. You don't want any visitors. <laughs> you know, it's fine. It'll be good. <laughs> the wall, right? I, we'll just send money for the commissary, <laughs> right? You know, and like, but I really enjoy like quiet, like." Uh, during undergrad, I went out to Gethsemane, um, which is like this uh, monastery out in uh, Louisiana, uh, not Louisiana, um, shit, what's the state? I forgot the state. Um, but it's where Thomas Merton had uh, done his, uh, Kentucky, it's in Kentucky. Um, and they actually offer these retreats. Like you can do like a three-day silent retreat, a seven-day silent retreat, a 30-day silent retreat, or a year silent retreat. And like it's supposed to like, help you like recalibrate and like just kind of just focus on the present and like it's very similar to like Buddhism and things like that and like a lot of people think that like in my life because we have the bar and like I'm a very social gregarious outgoing person they're like oh well they socialize all the time like some of my best time is just sitting in quiet like reading a book or I just, like, like eating alone in a restaurant do you? yes and like, it takes a lot of confidence to eat oh, alone oh I love it it does like I love it and I'm a big person uh, of eating at the bar me too. Like, 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 like the bartender. Again. The bartender. And it's just like, you get a better pulse on things. You can feel the energy right. better. And like, also like the bartender is sometimes lonely too. If it's a quiet night and like, it's nice. Even if you don't talk to them, like. Just to have someone there. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's really interesting. I know. I love, I'm like, just please sit at the bar. So it's like exactly. I'm people in here so my boss doesn't go crazy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like I'll just sit there and like, you just have a beer and like chill, you know? Yeah. What is the current economic state of our borough? Ooh. Uh, in a nutshell. We're in flux right now. Like, we, we need some stability. Okay. We have a lot of rods in the fire. We have a lot of opportunity that's presenting itself. But we need to be very firm about our goals and implementing those goals. If not, and 
I work with a lot of people in the private sector. If not, the private sector will dictate our priorities. Um, and we just, it's like one of those things like we had under Ruben Diaz like a tremendous amount of economic development. That was his thing. He was the economic development borough president. And there were a lot of projects that like when he was leaving, they were like shovel ready and get, getting going. But then we have also all these new projects under borough president Gibson. So we just have so much happening. Um, that we really just need to like focus, prioritize, and also demand what is ours, right? right. Like, you know, I think that's important. I was getting that point. Especially, how are you working with community partners and elected officials to ensure the Bronx has the resources that it has to succeed? No more crumbs. That's that's it. Like, no more. Like, no no more crumbs. Like that. that we deserve and we're entitled to what any borough is entitled to. And I think we have a really good team in the borough right now that's demanding that. And it's, and it's, it's also no uh, hidden secret that the team is all women uh, who are who are in these leadership positions who are really doing a lot of strong work. And like my thing is, if you want something done, have a woman do it because they do it much better than men. We're incompetent people that can't get out of our own way. And I'm not saying that to like to to, to win points. It's it's really just true. Right. You know, uh, men are very good supporting characters, but women really can get things done. Isn't that the truth? Um, what has the biggest struggle for the Bronx been thus far in your career, overall? Uh, we're siloed. We, and like because we've been fighting for those crumbs, and like organizations are fighting for those crumbs. Um, there's like deep levels of distrust. I mean, you could be my best friend, but if we're going for the same grant or or what have you, like there's there's that competition and because of that competition, there's like just like a lot of infighting and I like feel that here too. And we just. We like again. It goes back to what I said earlier. Like we want to be here. We just have different vehicles to get there. How do we organize ourselves and then prioritize ourselves? Like and every borough has these issues, but we I think have a real opportunity to like identify what are the six things that we're really going to focus on. These are our these. This is what we're going to do, um, and let's do them. And like all the other stuff, like let's cut through that noise and just focus on this. So tell us a little bit about the LGBTQ plus uh, task force that you're, yes. you're currently on. No, so I'm, I'm on it, but I used to be the co-chair of it under Ruben Diaz. Okay. Um, it's great. So the borough president's office, uh, particularly under Ruben and now thankfully under Vanessa, has really invested a lot of time, energy, and resources into the LGBTQ population in the Bronx, of which I'm a member. Um, and... Uh, we're starting to see the proof in the pudding. But, uh, but there's still a lot of work to be done. There are still neighborhoods who don't say gay, right? Like, it, it, you know, there, are, there are still neighborhoods, you know, we led a campaign of hate has no business here that disagreed with that. Um, so that racism is real. Racism is around us every day. And it's our job to kind of fight against that. So it's, you know, like, we have to understand that we can't just use words that say we're diverse. Right. We have to really invest in that diversity appropriately. And like, I'm super excited about Riverdale Pride. Yes, and I wanted to we met two years ago. Yes. The first Riverdale Pride, you and Tony were big supporters and allies, so thank you so yes. much for Yes, and that. those little, we still have the bracelets. The little, really yes, they were two little girls that were selling bracelets. They were like the Bronx's youngest entrepreneurs. It was great. Oh, I love <laughs> it. Um, yeah, you know, here in um, Riverdale, I could do a million things. I'm speaking truthfully from the heart. I could do a million things all year, give toys and yep. when it comes to pride people get nasty yeah and we have a facebook group here i'm sure you have a facebook group and yeah. where you are and it's just cutthroat and nasty and people yeah. tear you to shreds and i think last week was it angie yeah we announced pride right pride. and these people were just saying disgusting disgusting yeah. things images yeah. my old time like i my hated comment was what was the comment i'm scared uh drag is not family oriented Oh, dear God. You know, we had a bomb scare when we did Drag Story Hour in the Hub. Did you really? Yeah, we had to cancel it. And actually, we had to move um, the location and date of the Pride that we do down there to make it a smaller scale um, because people were so fearful. And, like, it's, I think it's fear of different and it's also fear of self, right? Yeah. People are... Pe people are are worried that, oh, that's different. I don't know what that is, the other, right? right? But then I think people have a lot to grapple with themselves, right? Like sometimes the most homophobic people mm -hmm. are struggling with themselves to understand where they are in life and right. their, their own lived experience. And 
that doesn't make it acceptable. Hate is hate. Like it is. that's that's it. And yeah. I feel it. And I I'm an ally. I'm not part of the community, but um, allies I, are definitely part of our community. Are, Absolutely. Are. But you know what I mean. Like, and I my sister is getting married. So Congrats, her fiance, and she is that's gay. Wonderful. So she is my motivation because I saw you know I just saw some stuff when I was a kid, and like I just the hate. But I said to Angie because Angie here is my right hand woman. She is like my. Chihuahua, right? That's it. And she I'm goes like, after. And I'm like, that's it. That's it. That's it. Because everyone was like, they said some really nasty stuff, and everyone's like rushing to get it erased. I said, no, no, no. I want you to leave it there because those comments, you think you're hurting me, but actually what you're doing is you're giving me the leverage to fundraise for Riverdale Pride. That's exactly because right. people see that and they're like, all right, all right, you check for this. That's exactly so thank right. Thank you so much yeah. to the haters. That's and exactly right. 100%. Out there, oh, you must be gay because, listen, I have. I have a whole bunch of like loved ones that I have. You have a lot of loved ones. I have a lot of loved ones, and then I have two people that I look at as my moms. Right. That they're and it was like, why not defend people that right. I love? Right. And that's that's why allies are exactly. super important. This is it. But I'll tell you this: you know where you know exactly. where you will find right. a drag queen on a certain island that's where exactly everyone's right. coming out. That's exactly ah! right. That's exactly right. Oh my god. That's exactly right. So, uh, where is the Bronx headed in 2024? I'm hopeful. You know, I know like our like city and state's economic outlook is not the best. Um, but back to what we said before, the Bronx is resilient, right? Totally. Like, like the Bronx is the borough that, you know, has three things in the refrigerator and is able to pull together a three course meal. Absolutely. Right? Like, like you know, like we, we, we can make that work. The fried egg over white rice. <laughs> yes, exactly. A little hot sauce. Oh, like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, we are resilient. And also, we know what it's like to not have. And because we know what it's like to not have, we can adjust. And, like, we know how bad things can get. And that's also, like, the other economic indicator. Like, if the Bronx says things are going to be really bad, then holy crap, Batman, things are going to be really bad. Because if things, things are, if we don't know how to deal with things and we are a borough of resilience, like real resilience, then we're in for a world of hurt. But I'm hopeful. I think that there's a lot going on right now. I think the recessionary waves are cooling. Interest rates are coming down. I think like over the next six months to a year, the government will work through its debt. Um, we have a lot of COVID debt, like we just do. That's We overspent during COVID. We thought the money was gonna come in forever and ever, and it didn't. Um, so we've got to work through it. Um, and like, we have to right-size, right? You know, we, we grew really fast during COVID because there was a lot of resources. Now we just have to go back and right-size and figure it out. Awesome. So now I want you to take a deep breath Ooh. because we are about to play the lightning round. Oh, my goodness. With Mike Brady. So you don't know these questions. No. Try to keep it, like, as direct as possible. One answer question. All right. Are you nervous? I'm a little nervous. Good. I've never done a lightning I round I like before. nervous. All right, let's do it. Okay, so you have to be honest, Yes, right? well, clearly. It's crazy. I'm not going to ask you. You could. It'd oh, be alright. Don't tell me. <laughs> no. Okay, so best slice of pizza in the Bronx. Ooh, it, it used to be Broadway Joe's on uh, Broadway here. Um, oh. Uh, or Salvatore's over here is good. Too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chopped cheese or bacon, egg, and cheese. I'm a bacon, egg, and cheese guy. Favorite bodega. My bodega, because they What's give the me Shout them out. Good Times Deli, because they give you a line of credit if you run out of cash. And it's, and it's full time for everybody. <laughs> that part. You know, like when you go to a bodega and it's like, oh, it's $6 and you only have a five in your pocket? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. Uh, J-Lo or Cardi B? J-Lo. Okay. Um, the, if the Real Housewives were coming to the Bronx, what, what section of the Bronx would be the juiciest? Oh, the juiciest? Yes. Uh, it's got to be Grand Concourse around Borough Hall. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we get into a car right now, what playlist are you putting on Spotify? Uh, I would probably put on some bachata. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Brady. Yeah, yeah. Um, favorite TV show? Uh, so, uh, Family Guy or American Dad? Oh, yes. Yes. That's my veg out. Yeah. <laughs> favorite bar besides your own? Ambiel Bach. Ambiel Bach! I love it! Um... <laughs> So, what is your favorite drink of choice when you go out? Uh, in spring, summer, fall, it's uh, a martini, okay. uh, extra dry with a twist. Uh, winter, I'm a bourbon whiskey scotch guy. My goodness, so classy. If you were invited, I'm actually nervous, you may have gone to one of these, but if you could be invited to 
the following, which one would you be? Which one would you pick? Golden Globes, Oscars, or Grammys? Uh, I will take the Oscars. Dinner uh, with anyone dead or alive? Uh, alive? Barack Obama. Okay. Are you a texter or a talker? Texter for non-emergency, talking if I need an answer right away. Your favorite day of the week? <laughs> Sunday. Why? It's my alone day. Oh. Favorite city outside of New York? Ooh. Uh, is, is there another city outside of New York? No. Good answer. <laughs> uh, I like Boston. Boston. Boston or Boston? Boston. Boston. <laughs> um, you don't leave the house without... Keys, wallet, cell phone. What is your favorite type of muffin? Ooh. You uh, <laughs> I do. So a lot of people would say blueberry. Honestly, a buttered corn muffin. Yes. Toasted. Yes. It's got to be super buttery, though. If not, it's going to be dry as hell. <laughs> favorite snack across the board? Carrots or gummy bears? Carrots? It's my stress food. You love carrots. It, if I'm like super stressed, carrots and gummy bears are my wow, go-to. Wow, super yeah. cool. Um, last meal in jail? Ooh. Uh, Solitary confinement. So it's my birthday meal. Every birthday I have the same thing. Um, New England clam chowder, uh, really good bread, and a scotch. That's it? No, I thought you were going to say steak or prime rib. No, like that's just like my happy happy place. Okay. Like, like, and like my other favorite, like I like egg noodles with butter, like grill, so, grilled cheeses. It's so like, simple, yeah. Yeah, you know, like. Where in Ireland is your family from? County Cavan. Cavan. Uh, what's your dog's name? Uh, Moira. The love of your life? Yes. She's, Sorry, Tony. She, she has a lot of a lot of personality. <laughs> she now thinks she's one of us. She sleeps on my pillow. Oh. Her, her head is next to mine. And my last question, which is the most important question Ooh. of this, okay? This is really random. You're All right. I love it. Would you eat a day-old taquito from 7-Eleven? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's our, our lightning. You look so random. Yeah, I would. Sure. Why not? I'm hungry. <laughs> that was our lightning round. Thank you so much. That was fun, Thank right? you. This was a lot of fun. So listen, I thank you so, so much for joining us. Please give us your pitch one more time. Where yeah. can we find Mike Brady? Sure. So you can find me at canonstrategygroup.com. That's a consulting fun, uh, company. Or if you're thirsty, come down to the bar, Board 47, 47 Bruckner. We're there. Uh, we open up at 3 p.m. And we are, have one of the only liquor licenses till 4 a.m. So we're around all night. And you're open till 4 a.m. Oh, yeah. Well, lately, yeah. Winter, it's, we usually close up around 1. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having time out of your such busy, crazy No, are you kidding? This is great. And thank you both for all the work that you do and and just like making the Bronx better. It's really important to have strong allies in the work. And go Jaspers. And go Jaspers. And go the Bronx. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, friends, that wraps up another episode of the Four Bronx Community Podcast. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast, email me today at laura4bronx at gmail.com. Join us next time.